inedible food remnants of a grown-up person immune from sorcery, and one of the methods of making the infant's excrement immune, is that of throwing them into the river, and even as regards infant's urine, which apparently is not, and as a rule hardly could be, actually thrown into the river, the protection is obtained by pouring water upon it. I think that the belief among the islands of the Pacific in the power of water to protect against the machinations of spirits or ghosts is not confined to the Mafula natives, or indeed to those of New Guinea. Dr. Codring mentions its existence as regards human excrement in Melanesia. I would also refer to a custom of the Mafula women after childbirth of throwing the placenta into the river, a practice which is similar to that of the Koita women, who drop the placenta into the sea. Probably these practices relating to placenta are also based upon some idea of protection from sorcerers and spirits. Although I was informed that among the Mafula there is no superstitious fear connected with the matter now. If the custom is in fact superstitious in origin, the list of media for the use of sorcery already given by me requires enlarging. Serious illness or death of either an adult or an infant, if not caused by visible accident, is by the Mafulu, as by other natives, generally attributed subject to limitations, to the sorcerers, the belief of the Mafulu as to this arises if the victim, being an ordinary person, is comparatively young, or in the strength of life, say under 40 or 45, or if the victim, being a chief or a member of a chief's family or a person of very high position, is even over that age, unless he is very old, and old age is recognized as the natural cause of his illness or death, if the belief arises that the calamity, especially that of death, has been brought about by spiritualistic influence. The family will probably go to some person who is believed to be in touch with spirits and able to designate the culprit. I cannot say whether or not the person so employed is regarded as being a sorcerer in the full sense of the word, or as nearly one of the inferior types of magic men above referred to. Probably he is only the latter, as I do not think there are any juvenile sorcerers among the Mafulu and this particular person may be quite a young boy, indeed. There is in a village near to the Mafulu Mission Station a young boy who is supposed to have this power. As a matter of fact this boy is not quite right in his head, but this state of mind is not among the Mafulu in any way unnecessary, or indeed a usual qualification for a sorcerer or magic man of any sort. The person appealed to will perhaps tell them who has done the deed, or will make some oracular statement which will lead to his identification. The culprit identified by him will in any case be a member of another clan, and most probably of another community. When he has been discovered, there will probably be a fight, in which the members of the victim's clan, or even, especially if the victim be a chief or big person, the whole of his community, will join the injured relatives. This question of suspected causing of death being, like that of non-repayment of the price paid for a runaway wife, one of the frequent causes of intercommunity fighting. Reverting here to the matter of ghosts and spirits, one cannot help noting a similarity between, on the one hand, the ghostly element of living food plants and the ghostly element of human excrement, which constitute the food of the ghosts, and, on the other hand, the physical inedible remnants of food recently eaten by an adult victim and the physical excrement and urine of an infant victim, which are the media used for hostile sorcery through the power of spirits, though, as regards the latter, I had no evidence of a belief that the spirits eat them. I tried to get further into this matter, but was unable to do so. Again one is struck by the fact that the special gobi tree, which is the tree used for the interment of chiefs and notables, is one of the trees whose presence is regarded as indicating a place inhabited by spirits. These elements of similarity tend, 
I think, to suggest the possibility of some confusion in the native mind as to the difference between ghosts and spirits, or of some originally ghostly origin in what are now regarded as spirits, the class of magic men who are something less than sorcerers, and whose powers are perhaps confined to the knowledge of certain specific forms of incantation, would probably include the person who does the nose boring, and perhaps the person who detects the causes of death above referred to, it would also, I think, include the men who ascertain the whereabouts of a stolen article and discover the thief, and who perform the ceremony in connection with hunting, and the persons who affect, or profess to affect, cures of a more or less superstitious nature, all of whom are probably not regarded as full sorcerers, the professional pig killer is not, as such, either a sorcerer or a magic man in the minor sense, and, If there has originally been anything of a superstitious or magic character associated with him or his functions, I was unable to find any trace of it, except perhaps as regards the ceremony and incantation in connection with hunting, which apparently is commonly performed by him. Charms. The Mafula people believe in charms. I have already referred to those used by young men desirous of marrying, but there are many other more important charms for various purposes, such as averting illness and death success in hunting and fishing, and perhaps preservation in time of war. These charms may be stones, small pieces of different sorts of bark, flowers, or various kinds of poisons. Though the poisons appear to be only used for averting illness and death, they are all procured from sorcerers, who may be of the same or of some other village, or of another community. And there are sorcerers who have specialities in certain sorts of charms. These charms are often carried inside the small charm bags already mentioned. Omens. They believe in omens, but of these I was only able to hear of two examples namely, flying foxes, and fireflies. The latter, though common in the plains, being rare on the mountains, and both of these are bad omens. Any person or party starting off on a journey, or on a hunting or fishing expedition, and meeting either of these creatures would probably at once turn back and I was told that even a full war party starting off on a punitive expedition would turn back, or at least halt for a time, if it met one or other of them. I cannot help thinking there must be some other omens, which I have failed to discover. General, referring generally to supplications, incantations, and acts of propitiation, the only examples of them which I was able to discover were the above-mentioned supplication to the river prior to fishing which is apparently spoken by the fishers themselves, and not merely by a sorcerer or magic man, and the incantations in connection with nose piercing, with hunting, with a dying chief, with the stone operation for stomach complaints, and with the planned remedies for wounds, and the acts of propitiation, if such they are, in connection with ceremonious pig killing, and especially with the ceremonies performed at a big feast and at or following a funeral, and as regards the incantations I could learn nothing as to their nature, nor as to the specific spiritual powers for the influencing of which they are intended, nor the way in which those powers are moved by them. In fact, concerning the whole question of ghosts, spirits, sorcery, charms, omens and superstitions, I cannot imagine that I have accomplished more than the mere touching of the fringe of it, and I am sure that, when the Mafula people have got rather more into touch with civilization, and become more accessible and communicative about these things, there will be much more to be learned. It may perhaps be that some of the apparently superstitious acts are, like many such acts performed in England, based upon beliefs which have long since been forgotten, and have themselves become mere formalities, 
to which the natives do not attach serious superstitious importance, though their fear of ghosts and spirits is undoubtedly a very real and general one. There are no secret societies or mysteries, such as are met with in some of the Solomon Islands, and they had no superstition as to sneezing. Taboo. The subject of taboo may perhaps be referred to under the present heading, for, though there appear to be no totemic taboos, and though I had no material showing that the Mafula taboos are based on superstitious ideas, it may, I imagine, be assumed that, while some of these taboos are possibly partly based on medical common sense, the element of superstition enters more or less into many of them. I have already referred to a few general restrictions connected with etiquette, and what I now propose to mention are food taboos. Young men are not supposed to eat wild pig until they have married, but this is the only food restriction which is put upon them. A woman who is about to give birth to a child must eat no food whatever for a day or rather longer never more than two days, before the child is born. I have already referred to the food taboo on persons undergoing the nose-piercing operation, and the optional food taboo to which the nearest relative of a deceased person may submit, in lieu of wearing the morning string. There is also a general taboo against any food other than sweet potato and chewing of beetle nuts, with its condiments of lime and pepper, upon any male person who intends to take part, either as a dancer or singer, in any ceremonial dance. This latter term includes the dance at a big feast and the women's dance on the eve of it, but not the dancing during the six months interval before it. It also includes the dance at any of the various minor ceremonies above described, and at a funeral ceremony. The period of restriction in the case of the big feast begins when the formal croton leaf invitation has gone out to the guests, about a month before the date of the feast. In the case of a funeral it is necessarily only quite short, and in cases of other ceremonies it varies being largely dependent on the length of period during which the approach of the ceremony is known. During the period of restriction the people avail themselves largely of the privilege of beetle chewing, and prior to a big feast their mouths get very red. In connection with personal ceremonies upon assumption of the perineal band, admission to the ammonia accepting. As regards this, the case of a child of very tender years, qualifying for drumming and dancing, devolution of chieftainship and nose piercing, the person concerned, male or female, is under the same food restriction for a day prior to that of the ceremony, and as regards nose piercing this taboo is prior to the actual piercing, and is quite distinct from the subsequent taboo already referred to. There does not appear to be any taboo connected with fishing, hunting or war. The observance of all these taboos is secured only by superstitious belief or public opinion, or both, there being no method of enforcing them by punishment or by any exercise of authority by the chiefs. Chapter XIX Note on the Cooney People Father Agdi, who has studied the Cooney people, and has written a series of articles about them in numbers of anthropos, told me that he regarded them as being a cross between the Papuan-speaking Mafulu and the Melanesian-speaking Papuan-Melanesians of Mako and the adjoining coast. Whether or not this is absolutely and strictly correct is a question upon which I will not venture to express an opinion. In general physique and appearance the Cooney are distinctly and strongly of the type of the Mafulu whilst their language is Melanesian, and, as regards other matters, they in some respects resemble and in other respects differ from the Mafulu. As regards physique, Father Agdi distinguishes the Kuni from the natives of the adjoining coast by their slighter development, slender limbs and darker color of skin, in which respects they resemble the Mafulu, but he regards them as being lower statured than the tribes of the interior, which term includes the Mafulu, with greater regularity of features, and of lighter color all of which tallies, I think, 
with my own observation of them, but the fact that they are shorter in stature than the Mafulu, who are themselves shorter than the coast natives, is perhaps a matter for surprise, if they are a cross between the two. I had not measured any Kuni heads, but I should be disposed from general observation to say that they are very similar to those of the Mafulu, being predominantly mesatocephalic, with tendencies to brachycephalism. Many of the Lapika people, who are Kuni, but are on the borders of the upper Mako district, seem to me to have distinctly flattish faces, with remarkably delicately cut features some of the women in particular being exceedingly pretty in profile and very bright sparkling eyes, where these local characteristics came from I cannot say, as it could hardly be the result of an intermixture of Mako blood, the oblique eye, which is occasionally found on the coast, but which I never saw in Mafulu, island according to Father Agdi, present, though only rare, among the Kuni, his large amount of opportunity for observation, and his known care and ability in this respect, compel me to assume his accuracy, but I can say that I saw a good many of these eyes among them, and indeed once, having about twenty of these Kuni people squatting in front of me, I observed that about half of them had distinctly oblique eyes, Father Agdi speaks of their hair as being generally black, rarely bright, and more rarely chestnut, and as to this, I would refer to the fact that the predominating color of hair among the Mafula was dark or darkish brown, so that in this respect the Kuni apparently tend more to the black-haired coast type of native than do the Mafulu. Concerning matters other than physique and language, as I only passed through the Kuni district, and did not attempt serious ethnological investigation there, I can say but little beyond what I learned from Father Agdi's articles and a few other sources, and the material thus available only deals with a few questions. It would appear from Father Agdi's observations that the relationship between villages arising from the splitting up into two or more of an original family village is not so permanent as I believe it to be among the Mafulu. Dr. Seligman says that among the Kuni Father Agdi could find no trace of intermarrying groups, or groups of clans claiming common descent, which statement applies to my investigations among the Mafulu. He further says that, the Dilava folk, Dilava is a Kuni village, marry into all the surrounding villages, and when a death occurs it is the head of the family of the deceased who says when mourning shall cease, statements of which the former, and I believe the latter, could hardly be correctly made concerning the Mafulu. He also refers to Kuni war chiefs, an office which does not exist among the Mafulu, and apparently understands that the office of these war chiefs is non-hereditary a statement which could not be made of any Mafulu chief, and he refers to a funeral ceremony which is quite unknown in Mafulu, but his statement that the Kufa clubhouse system seems less developed than in Mako would apply very strongly to the Mafulu, the Kuni superstitious remedies for illnesses, as described by Father Agdi, are quite different from those of Mafulu, and their food restrictions, as enumerated by him, are in some respects substantially distinct from those of the Mafulu, though some of them are more or less similar, according to him Kuni women, though they may not enter the village Kufu or clubhouse, are allowed upon its platform, which is not the case with the Mafulu Imon, and eldest sons of Kuni influential people may not enter into the Kufu until their parents have given a specific feast, which custom is apparently not identical with that of the Mafulu above described by me, and which applies to all sons of all members of the village, and not merely to those of influential people. The Kuni houses differ from those of the Mafulu, being more or less round or oval in apparent shape, even though the floor is rectangular. Also according to Father Agdi, Kuni Kufu are of several various sorts, and some of them are constructed in specific ways, 
and had specific carved and painted decorations, some of which are imitative of animals and objects held in veneration, and these different types of clubhouse, which include one used only by elderly bachelors and widowers, had specific names all of which is quite different from what is found in Mafulu. Among these clubhouses Father Agdi includes one built at feast times higher up the ridge, outside the village, for guests' accommodation, which, though apparently somewhat similar in purpose to the guests' houses at a Mafulu feast, differs from them in form. Indeed, as regards building construction, the only point of strong similarity between the Kuni and the Mafulu which I can trace is the long fireplace extending from front to back of the building, which with the Kuni is apparently very like that of the Mafulu. Father Agdi's statement as to Kuni cannibalism, that speaking generally it appears to be confined to the bodies of people killed in war or in private vendetta, and that, though other cases are recorded, they are regarded as a violation of a custom and are detested, might be equally well said of the Mafulu, though I did not actually hear of any known record there of the other cases mentioned. Again his statement that the actual killer must not share in the feast holds good with the Mafulu, but I believe that this idea exists elsewhere also. Concerning the Kuni implements I can only refer to Drive Seligman's statement, that they do not appear to use bows and shields which, if correct, is a point of difference between them and the Mafulu and to a few other things referred to by Father Agdi in his articles. From his descriptions I should imagine that the Kuni pig bone implements and their bamboo cutting knives are similar, and that their wooden vegetable dishes are somewhat similar to those of the Mafulu, but the Kuni have cooking pots which they get from the coast and use forks and spoons and various other implements and utensils which are not found in Mafulu, and their mode of producing fire is quite different from the Mafulu mode. I recognize that the above comparative notes on Kuni culture are only of a very fragmentary character, but Father Agdi expresses the general opinion that, though the language of the Kuni people is Melanesian, their habits and customs may be considered as making one with those of the Mafulu people. On the whole question of Kuni relationship it can, I think, Hardly be doubted that the Kuni have some characteristics which are clearly those of the Mafulu and other central mountain tribes, and others which are obviously those of the Papua Melanesians of the adjacent plains and the coast beyond, and the only question seems to be the nature and origin of the Kuni relationship to these two types of people. It may be, as suggested by Father Agdi, that they are actually a cross between these two mixed types, or if the suggestion in my concluding chapter as to the possible presence in these Mafulu and other mountain people of Negrito blood be correct, it may be that the Kuni people are merely another result of the general negrito papua melanesian intercrossing, in which the Papuan and Melanesian elements have been more predominant than they have been with the Mafulu. Chapter XX Conclusion What is the origin of these Mafulu people? With their short stature, small and somewhat rounded heads, slight but active build, sooty brown skin and frizzly hair, predominantly brown in color, and with their comparatively primitive ideas of organization, and simple arts and crafts, the question is one of no mere local interest, as the answer to it will probably be the answer to a similar question concerning most, and perhaps all, of the other Papuan-speaking people of the mountainous interior of the central district of British New Guinea, and may even be a key to the past early history of the entire island, it has, I think, been hitherto believe that all these mountain people had a mixed Papuan and Melanesian ancestry, but it was impossible to be among them, as I was, for some time without being impressed by the difference in appearance between them and the people of the adjacent coast and plains, and suspecting that, though they had Papuan and Melanesian blood in their veins, there was also some third element there, 
and the name which obtruded itself upon my mind, whilst in Mafulu, was Negrito, the dark skin and the comparatively rounded heads, and, I think, some shortness of stature are found elsewhere in British New Guinea, though shortness of stature and rounded heads are unusual, and, I believe, only local, and I do not know whether even the Papuan skin is ever quite so dark as that of the Mafula people, but the almost universal shortness of stature, the comparatively slight, but strong and active, build and the brown color of the hair seemed entirely different from anything that I had ever seen or read of as regards either the Papuans or the Melanesians, and all of these, coupled with the tendency to a roundness of head, were consistent with a partial Negrito ancestry. Then on my return to England I learned that dwarf people had been found by the recent expedition into Dutch New Guinea organized by the British Ornithologists' Union. Dr. Hedden has expressed the opinion that these dwarf people and some dwarf people previously found by Dr. Rudolf Polch in German New Guinea are all Negritos, or Negritos crossed with Papuans. Dr. Keith, to whom I submitted all my notes upon the measurements and physique of the Mafula people, and who measured and examined the three skulls which I brought home wrote to me as follows, I have examined the observations you have made on the Mafulu. From your paper one can form, for the first time, a picture of the physical characters of this tribe, but, when I proceed to assign the tribe to its proper race, I am at once met by difficulties. In my opinion the short stature, the pigment skin, and the small heads inclined to brachycephaly indicate a strong negrito element, which we know is widely distributed in the Far East, and certainly, as we should expect, occurs in certain districts of New Guinea. In the three crania there were characters which one could assign to Papuan, as well as to a Melanesian stock. A brown or reddish tinge is seen not infrequently in the hair of Negritos. You will see that I am inclined to look on the Mafulu as showing a very considerable degree of Negrito blood, and to regard the more primitive tribes of New Guinea as being of this nature. If that were so, the Mafulu might be regarded as belonging to the older population of New Guinea both Papuan and Melanesian having added something to their civilization, as well as their physical characters. Dr. Keith then is inclined to agree with my suggestion concerning the origin of the Mafulu, and Dr. Hedden, having seen my notes upon physique, said that he endorsed the views expressed by Dr. Keith, and if the view suggested be correct as regards the Mafulu or Fluge people, I am prepared to say that from what I had heard of the other mountain Papuan-speaking people of that part of New Guinea, including the Orolopecucovio, Bodoi and Embo people, I am convinced that it must be correct as regards them also, though the relative predominance of the three strains may well vary with these different people, I am hardly qualified to enter into the discussion as to the relationship, if any, existing between the principal hitherto known dwarf races, the Pygmies of Central Africa, the Simang of the Malay Peninsula, the Andamanese and the Itas of the Philippine Islands, or to deal with the question whether or not all or some of them are to be grouped together as forming a distinct and related type, or are to be regarded as unconnected in the sense that each of them is merely a local variation, sharing a common ancestry with some other taller Negroid race. As, however, my suggestion of a partial Negrito origin of the Mafula people necessarily brings me into contact with this wider question, and the latter is still one upon which opinions differ. I may perhaps briefly tabulate some of the chief physical characters of the Andamanese, the Simang, the Itas, the dwarf people recently found in Dutch New Guinea and the Mafulu. I think I may omit the African pygmies from my tables. I think that the above tables indicate that, though there are differences, there are elements of similarity between I the Mafulu people, to the Dutch New Guinea dwarfs.
and three one or more of the Andamanese, Simang and Itas, but in my comparison of the Mafulu and the dwarfs of Dutch New Guinea with the other previously known dwarf races I would specially draw attention to their similarity in shortness of stature and as regards most of the Mafulu and a few of the Dutch New Guinea people color of hair, and this impels me to venture to say a few words on the larger question. I have searched through much existing literature concerning the various hitherto discovered dwarf races of the world with reference to the question whether, even assuming that these people had an original primary ancestry from which the taller negroid races also are descended, they must be regarded as having become a related type, separate and distinct from the latter, as now existing, or whether they must all be treated as nearly separate local variations, each of them having failed to develop, or retrograde and in other respects become different in type from taller negroid races among or near to whom they are found, and I am struck by the fact that, though the natural tendency to a local variation in stature, shape of head, color and other matters is brought forward in support of the latter theory, no one seems, in connection with the general question, to have noted the fact that, whilst the hair color of negroes, Papuans and Melanesians is black, the hair of all these various dwarf people seems to be predominantly brown, and that this variation explanation, if regarded as applying to these dwarf races separately and independently of one another, involves a remarkable coinciding double variation in stature and predominant color of hair exhibited by all these dwarf people as compared with the taller negroids. On the other hand, if there has been an original separation of descendants of common primary ancestors of all the negroid races, which, through variation, has resulted in two main types one predominantly full-sized and always black-haired, and the other always short and predominantly brown-haired, and the pygmies negritos and negrillos are to be regarded as being all descendants of the latter type, who have since for some reason become geographically separated, there would appear to be nothing remarkable in the double variation, but in that case we are, I take it, justified in regarding the dwarf races as being a separate type, to be distinguished from the taller races, and, if that be so, there appears to be substantial ground for thinking that the Dutch New Guinea dwarf people and the Mafula people are in part descended from people of that type. I may also draw attention for what they are worth as points of detail to the facts already noted, that the Simang and Andamanese, who bury their ordinary folk underground, adopt tree burial, and apparently, as regards the Simang, platform burial not on trees also, as a more honorable method of disposing of the bodies of important people and chiefs, and that as regards these matters the Mafulu custom is similar. Also the very simple ideas of the Mafulu, as compared with Papuans and Melanesians, in matters of social organization, implements, arts and crafts, religion and other things may well, I think, be associated with a primitive Negrito origin, if the Mafulu people may be properly regarded as having a Negrito ancestry, distinct in type from that of either the Papuans or the Melanesians. The Negrito element would presumably be the earlier one, Papuan and Melanesian infusion having occurred subsequently. Indeed it may well be believed that the Negrito element is derived from an original ancestry who were probably the earlier inhabitants of New Guinea.